Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lots gone on in the past year. I don't know if you noticed, but people started caring about sexual harassment all of a sudden. I want you guys to know, I get it. Of course you want to touch women. They're impossible to resist. I relate to your frustration because sometimes I will see a service dog at the airport. Because I'm going to pet that fucking dog. I mean, it's a dog. It obviously wants it with that adorable little butt. I can see its butthole. If that's not asking for it, I don't know what is. Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. My guest on this week's show is the very funny Whitney Cummings. Whitney is an incredible stand-up comic. She's a writer, she's a showrunner, and it was so fun to talk to her about all of her work. Uh, Her new special is called Can I Touch It? It's streaming on Netflix starting today, so definitely check that out if you haven't already. Uh, We talked about all of that, plus how she got her start in comedy, uh, creating shows, the shows Two Broke Girls and Whitney, and also uh, what it was like to work on the Roseanne reboot uh, before that went down in flames. Uh, As always, I would like to remind you to please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Let us know who your favorite guest has been so far, who else you'd like to see on the show. Are there any questions that you really want me to ask guests? Uh, It really helps people find the show, and I really appreciate if you could do that. So uh, without further ado, let's go to my conversation with the very funny Whitney Cummings. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan. Oh, you are. I listen to this show. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Good to hear. It's it's weird to see you in person. Yeah, know your um, voice well. Yeah, it's been fun uh, doing the show. Um, are we uh, are we good to go? Who's or? been the least? Well, no, you can't tell me that. I'll tell you. What do you want to know? It's just I get. I know you. <laughs> I'm gonna say who was the least funny guest you've had. You can't say that. Well, it's funny. I think this show is interesting. I kind of set out to do a show that wasn't like laugh a minute oh then i'm your guy like like comedians but sometimes we talk about like real shit and but a lot of comedy podcasts are like very funny and i you know i want the show to be funny but i don't want but like the kind of book me (laughs) i'm not funny on podcasts it's it's a weakness that's okay i think a lot of i mean i think a lot of comics on podcasts don't want to they, you know, they spend a lot of time trying to be funny. So on a podcast, it feels desperate. Yeah, I uh, when I do it at least, I am not funny during the day. Yeah, it's only a general night? rule. Yeah, like seven thirty. That's when my the yuck yucks really kick. Have in. you had to shoot stuff during the day, and is well, that a problematic? Like acting, I can do it, <laughs> but like stand up, there's something about the lights that just there's nothing funny about this yeah. lighting. Yeah, I just I, I think for us, I don't know if it's just a Pavlovian thing, but just like. You know, the sun goes down, 7.30, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just like a training Pavlovian reaction. I don't know. Uh, well, I got to see your new special, uh, Can oh, I Touch It? Wow. I really, really enjoyed it. You it was, did? Yeah, it was great. Um, and it's your first one on Netflix, right? It's my first special. I have a special on Netflix. It's an old special that I did for Comedy Central that they bought, but everyone thinks it's my new one, but it's 10 years ago, <laughs> and I'm just yelling. I'm like, men and women are different! Yeah. And everyone's like, love your new special. I'm like, oh, God, please don't think that's what I would do now. Yeah, I mean, the Netflix phenomenon is is pretty crazy just because that's Wild. where people are finding stuff. I mean, is yeah. that what made you want to go with them because it's become so central to the yeah. stand-up Yeah, world? I mean, it's a, I hope this doesn't come off gross. I know when women are ambitious, sometimes... Sometimes it's yucky, but, you know, the idea is for as many people as possible, you know, to connect with and make as many people as possible laugh. And they have such a big platform. You know, as a comic, I think, you know, when I first started, the dream was like an HBO special. Mm -hmm. Like that was it. That was like, you know, and uh, so I always had that dream. And I remember it was between HBO and Netflix at the time. And my last one, I was like, you know, let me just do an HBO. So this is just, yeah. you know. Um, but that was, Netflix wasn't even a few years ago what it is right now. Exactly, exactly. But it still would have been great. Yeah. I just kind of was like that HBO special thing mm-hmm. was just, you know, it's like you do Carson. That was a big yeah. deal for the generation before me. Or you do Leno or The Tonight Show. And then for me, it was like HBO special. So yeah. now I suspect that if you 
then HBO special is getting far less people watching than, well, than Netflix, even though we don't really know because Netflix won't tell anyone. But it's, it seems that way just from the conversation and, and talking to people about it. And I think it's also like a different type of viewer as mm-hmm. well. Different, you know, demographics from what I understand. I mean, HBO, you have to put in like a couple passwords to get to, you mm-hmm. know, someone. Yep. I always say like the quality of an HBO viewer might be like a super fan because mm-hmm. they have to. They have to work a little <laughs> yeah, harder. exactly. Totally. They have like so many options to do a U-turn mm-hmm. when they're searching for you. But, um, you know, HBO is I'm just such a fan of the, the quality of content they do. Yeah. So I was proud to do that. And but now Netflix makes a lot of my favorite shows, you know, so it's it's cool to be on there. And, uh, and it's also worldwide, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. I think that no, in Comedy Central, yeah, I don't know what countries they're all in. But mm-hmm. HBO, I mean, sorry, Netflix is just like yeah crazy so so you're so we're about a week a little less than a week away from it uh when we're talking now this will be released on the day it's out so people can check it out um, oh cool right now it's now streaming now streaming i'm it's so funny the (laughs) the funny thing they said to me when i went in for the marketing meeting and by the way i just got really like uncomfortable talking about it because i just i'm embarrassed promoting stuff but I went to this big marketing meeting, and you know, they make different posters. They make tons of different posters, and it, depending on what algorithm you're in, you might get a different poster mm, and what right, you're watching. Right, right. And the head of comedy was like, just so you know, the day your special comes out, it might not be on your Netflix on the home <laughs> Just screen. as a warning, because you might not be the target audience for your <laughs> for own For myself, special. yeah. So it's yeah. like, because he said a lot of comedians would call in and say like, well, how come my special's not on my homepage? <laughs> Which just reveals that you're an asshole that doesn't watch other stand-up specials. Oh, yeah. Do, do you watch other stand-up specials? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So hopefully you get to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think based on my algorithm, um, and you've seen it, I like, yeah. I watch things about robots and mm-hmm. I watch comedy, mm-hmm. so yeah. I hope, I good, hope mine yeah, would cross-section there. Yeah, I've just yeah. watched x again oh so yeah do you have a kind of fascination with robots because I'm you obsessed, yeah, because yeah. so um for anyone who doesn't know the special the, the towards spoiler the end of the special alert well, is it a spoiler i mean it's in no. the little uh, it's in the poster and yeah stuff, but, uh, but i don't think people in the poster will know will what's realize gonna happen do you yeah. want to not spoil it or do you want to talk we should about it spoil okay. it so there's a, a robot of yourself that appears uh towards the end of the special that you unveil how did you feel when you um, saw it it's definitely creepy. <laughs> I, assume, I, I feel like I was probably not as creeped out as you were when you saw it, which we which we also get to see a little behind the scenes. You know what's weird? I am not that creeped out by it. <laughs> Maybe because I paid for a lot of it and I'm invested <laughs> in it being cool. Yeah. But there's an interesting, and I'm not like a you know trying to do like there's a difference between men and women neurologically. Calm down, comment section. <laughs> but there's something called pathogen avoidance, mm-hmm. where humans have evolved to be you know, a little bit repelled by something that looks human, but doesn't act human. It's our body's way of avoiding Mm. trying to procreate with something that's sick or diseased. But I I do notice that guys in general are a little more creeped out by it. That's interesting. Girls are like fascinated by it. Guys are like, yeah, I hate it. My fiance hates it. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, when it's not talking, it's less creepy than once it's, it's, but the then talking the eyes is, are moving are, are around. Weird. Yeah. The talking um, to you is the creepiest part. Well, the way it talks, I found a little creepy because it's like, it's not really, they haven't quite got the like, um, mouth movement part of it down at <laughs> for all. The it looks like bad German yeah. subtitling or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, so you, uh, in the special, you also talk about your fiance got to spend some time with the robot when you went on vacation. Is he that hates that's it. true? In yeah. his words, one of you is more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he because when you see it, there is something just wild. I mean, with Uncanny Valley or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But he says, like, and I tried to put a ring camera in to oh, yeah. spy on what happens <laughs> between him and the robot when I'm out of town. But I'm trying to get ring camera footage because every time he walks in a room and sees it, he's like, oh, fuck. Like, it's just <laughs> like he gets so angry that it scares him every time. But yeah, it's a sex, basically a sex doll body. You mm-hmm. know, they don't have human robot bodies. I yeah. mean, Boston Dynamics has, but my head shouldn't be on a giant Terminator yeah. body. But uh, but the face is a robot. And it is wild, like, they're still working on the muscles around the nose mm-hmm. and the mouth so that the talking matches up, but it yeah. is a little janky. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just to, how did you decide that, that that was something that you wanted to do and include in this, in the special or it, was it always, to, I'm mentally ill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you like? What's your reaction? I'm just so curious. Yeah. Like, did you think it was crazy? Did you think it was fascinating? Well, I funny? thought it was a very original idea for, you know, especially for a comedy special to kind of bring out a, another version of yourself to interact with. I'd never seen anyone do that before. So, that Well, was... you know, I was talking so much about sex robots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I had, I ended up cutting it down to like 25 minutes, yeah. but I had about 45 minutes of material on sex Just robots. Just when you were doing your act out and yeah, about. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, 
And I'm fat. Look, I'm just fascinated by the next thing that nobody's you know, like last mm-hmm. special. I talked about like egg freezing, like mm-hmm. stuff that's like this is on the horizon. Why yeah. isn't anyone talking about it? Is it shrouded in shame or puritanical ideal? Why are we talking about the fact that sex robots are being made? And in the next 20 years, they're going to be like iPhones, like everyone's going to have one. And, you know, none of us are really uh, uh, talking about it. So I just got fascinated by it. And I think that just during this, you know, the, this moment of me, too, and and you know, there's lots of real problems that have been brought to the surface and illuminated with women in the workplace and and whatnot. And I'm reading all these articles where people think like sex robots are going to ruin society. It's like, no, no, (laughs) on the list of things that are going to ruin society, that's like doesn't break the top thousand. And uh, and so I just started reading about this backlash and how bad it is for women and how bad it is for women. And and I just I just did not agree with a lot Mm -hmm. of the fears people have about it. I mean, it's just proven i mean porn is is you know there's there is proof of how damaging too much porn can be on right. the human brain and that's available and ubiquitous and no one you know so i just thought it was interesting that people were so angry about the idea of sex robots so i went down to the factory to see what was going on just to make sure that i wasn't advocating you know something that is destructive or for, or for like pedophiles mm-hmm. or some crazy shit like that and then when i when i went to the factory i started you know you saw in the special i don't want to be a broken record or bore you since you've already heard it but I started learning all these things mm-hmm. at the sex robot factory that it was actually really uh, that were encouraging to me and yeah. weirdly healing and um, and then he was like do you want everyone made one of you like they were going to do one of Robert Downey Jr. for some show and he could like the technology is just available to mm-hmm. do it and they were like we just want to try it with someone can you do it and I was like yeah what am i gonna say no <laughs> yeah. like what kind of weirdo would say no yeah, so it was actually there they broached it first before kind said, of yeah Can i have one of me i know or? and i was like am i a narcissist? you brought it up i'm not a narcissist <laughs> and then i think i was kind of at the point where i was like there's just so much content out there right now there's so many good tv shows there's so many good specials there's so many people on instagram doing such funny shit people that i don't think hollywood would really be giving a chance or would mm-hmm. never have the shot to to make things the you know, traditional way. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just so much to compete with. And I think I was kind of like, if I'm going to talk about sex robots for 25 minutes, one better fucking come out of the yeah. end, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to earn, you know, the amount of time that, that people are spending on yeah. watching a special. And we get to see a little bit of um, in the special at the end, you trying it out on audiences before you tape the special. Did you like and that? Some of the, yeah. Yeah. And some of the technical difficulties yes. that you had. Yes. So what, what were some, what were the audience reactions like uh, in, when you started bringing it, bringing it out? It was so wild that, you know, it's, I think as a comedian, you start to get desensitized over time. I don't know if anyone's talked about this on your show, but like, you know, a laugh is like nothing mm-hmm. anymore. It's like, yeah. I get, it's like, you know, it does not get it up for me at all. It feels like I'm bombing when I just get laughs. Like applause <laughs> breaks. I'm kind of like, ah, and then you get suspicious. You're like, well, you're just clapping because you paid money to come see me. And yeah, you want to like it. You want to <laughs> like it. And you're just here, you know, whatever. You start to just get so cynical. And I think for me, like, you know, my standard for the kind of reaction that I wanted, you know, and the kind of performance I wanted to give and the kind of feeling I wanted people to leave with, you know, it just started getting higher and higher. And I, I was like, laughs I can do. Applause breaks I can do. I know how to make people laugh. I'm really proud that I can do that. But like, how can I really make people leave this experience and be like, keep talking about it and make it just really memorable. You know, I take it very seriously that people come pay money, they get a babysitter, they pay for parts. Mm-hmm. It's 200 yeah. bucks to go see a comedian. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, I take it seriously. So I was like, what's the thing I can do to like shock people and nothing shocking anymore. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. um, I was listening to a podcast with the guy that runs Vice, uh, I'm sorry, Veep. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that like they can't, like they had to go the other way on jokes because all the edgy jokes they had started happening. Like right, they had a yeah. pee tape joke and they had to cut it. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, they can't, they can't top reality. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's what's happening. So for mm. me, I'm like, we have to look for new ways to shock, new yeah. ways to be surprising. Like beyond s- reality. <laughs> sex isn't edgy anymore. Saying fuck isn't edgy anymore. You know, this sort of mm. PC thing has started to make some benign things really offensive out of nowhere. Yeah. But to me, I was just like, what can I do in this special that I haven't done before? I don't want to just do another 50 minutes of jokes, you know, or yeah. just 50 minutes of material. And uh, and Jordan Peele, I'm a big fan of. And I thought it was really interesting that he's sort of in this genre of like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. You're laughing, but you're like... Yeah, it's a different of, kind of laugh. Totally. It's it's wild. And, and I think I, I really was interested in that you can 
be funny, but also kind of maybe scary and shocking. And when I was in La Jolla, which is what you saw mm-hmm. that yeah. that tape that's at the end, that was I only got to rehearse with her four times. Oh wow! And so things were going wrong and shit. But we have the video of the audience member, and people were like pumping their hands in the air. <laughs> they were getting up and, and walking in circles. People, it was just wild, you know. I mean, a robot's kind of a Rorschach test in a way. Everyone has a different reaction, yeah. projects their own shit onto it, and people are like, "Oh fuck!" They were covering their <laughs> eyes and like, you know. There's, it was interesting. We had of all the reaction shots we had of the audience, in every one, there was at least one person who put their hands up in the air and started <laughs> punching the air. It was just, you know, and because they um, were so excited. Yeah, they were just like, didn't know what to think. Yeah. It was just so surprising. And she does weirdly, like, I guess, look like me. She does. We worked does. really hard to make, I mean, I've aged her by 10 years in the last six months, but. Um, <laughs> But there's just something so creepy and inexplicable and funny and just fucking weird and insane. And I think we're at the place where if you're going to make something, it better be holy shit. Yeah. Good. Um, So you also mentioned that uh, the Me Too movement kind of was in your head while you were putting together this material. Yeah. how did that how did that play into how did you decide, you know, that you really wanted to get into to that stuff as well? You know, it's such a, um, you know, flammable topic. And I think as a comic, like, and writer, whatever I do for a living, it's always just trying to figure out, like, what's a joke? What's a movie idea? What's a TV idea? What's a tweet? Mm -hmm. What's an Instagram story? Like, what goes where? And how much real estate does a concept or joke need? And I think for me, you know, with what happened to me, too, like, Twitter did not feel like a smart way to express Mm -hmm. myself. You know, stand-up, I think, was the only way to really give it the real estate that it deserved and the nuance that it deserved. So Mm -hmm. I actually waited until my special, which is coming out, is out now, to really weigh in on it. Because when I would weigh in on it on social media, it was just like, just too much. Yeah, the the instant uh, responses or the... Yeah, and just kind of like you're doing... You stop. No one wants to hear about this, and and you're not doing enough. You're doing too much. You mm-hmm. know, I, I it was wild. Like I posted something about Times Up, and I lost like five thousand followers. Oh, People were like feminazi bitch. Like, oh, I was just like, wait a second. You know, so I think that for me, I was like, this is a topic that is so complicated that I would rather mm-hmm. just present it. In yeah, a way and really that's... like think about it and decide what you want to say. And I don't want to be the person who's just like trying to get likes off mm-hmm. of tweeting about something that's in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. irrelevant because that feels gross and dirty. And then you kind of become the voice of the, you know, I didn't want to become the face of something that I, you know, wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I just didn't want to inject myself into a conversation without earning it with ideas. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, over these last couple of years, a lot of women in Hollywood are kind of talking about how this movement has made them rethink some of their experiences that they had Mm -hmm. um, earlier on. Did that, did that happen to you? Did you, did it, have you... Do you think about things in a different way now than than you used to? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, the the most valuable thing in that, you know, experience of touring with that material, and it kept changing because I had 30 minutes on, you know, creepy directors and, you know, Me Too and and harassment in the workplace and all this stuff. And then I went on tour to mm-hmm. places that were not New York and L.A. Yeah. and San Francisco and Chicago. And I had women heckling me hilariously i remember one time i was talking about a specific case that was in the news and this woman just yelled take the compliment and move on oh, wow <laughs> and then women would come up to me after shows because i just i like to talk to people after shows and they were like what like what is this is this a bunch of rich white women complaining mm. about getting their asses grabbed in the peninsula like we don't give a <laughs> shit you know and i just i had not experienced that point of view i had yeah. a lot of waitresses who were telling me we flirt for tips mm-hmm. like this is sex is like, the only power we yeah. have we don't want this taken away from exactly us vegas showgirls when i'm in vegas they're like if me too hits vegas we're out of a job this is oh, wow. sex and objectifying ourselves is how we make money so for me i don't have to you know you know necessarily agree or or relate because i can't but that was something that i really wanted to incorporate into this it's mm-hmm. not like one didactic myopic <laughs> point of view yeah and you know because there are a lot of people that kind of are rolling starting to roll their eyes at this mm-hmm. and i think it was important i ended up trashing like 20 minutes of the material i had and rewriting to kind of honor how this has evolved and the backlash and try to 
address that you know there was a yeah. bit in it that you saw where it was like talking about how people are going well all these women are lying some women are lying and what mm-hmm. that is like because that to me is now sort of more what the conversation yeah, is. yeah the backlash to it yeah and how we navigate that and i think that it being men versus women has been a very big mistake mm-hmm. and again as someone who talking about men versus women is yeah <laughs> sort of for a long time been <laughs> what i specialize in so i know that it's ironic that i'm the person saying that should stop i just I hope I was fair. Do you think I was fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that you wanted to acknowledge some of the stuff you were hearing on the road because it is so different than what, you know, I think we hear in in Hollywood and New York and all these places. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that it was just, you know, and for me, like, yes, have I dealt with sexual harassment in Hollywood? Of course I have. Mm -hmm. Was I conscious enough at the time to even understand it was happening? Like, no. Um, But... You know, I've also been treated really poorly by women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a comedy. You know, so I think is my comedy brain is always like, okay, what's the stone we're not turning right yeah. now? And what's the flip of that? Even if it's just like a thought mm-hmm. exercise. And I was feeling, and I talk about in special, and I'm sure I'm going to get shit for it. Um, when I'm sort of rhetorically asking, does anyone have any friends that think they're feminists, but they're actually just assholes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because there is this thing now where you're not allowed to say anything negative about a woman ever. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm not allowed to judge Ann Coulter because she's <laughs> a, like, you know, yeah. it just feels a little bit like, you know, a lot of my girlfriends are feeling like, okay, but what we're feeling, uh, you know, and I'm a comedian, so I feel it. Now I'm feeling like there's things I can't say. Now I'm feeling mm-hmm. like bullied <laughs> to say the right thing and support specific people and follow certain people and post certain things. And, you know, and um, I think that, you know, I kind of just wanted to explore both sides. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side of people coming up to you and saying, have you, you know, that they disagree with maybe some of the stuff you were saying about Me Too, um, you know, women telling you that. Have you had the other experience of people getting offended by something that you said oh my god um, yeah but i think for me it's like you know me too is is you know marching and i'm doing it's obviously it's pivotal i mean it's the most mm-hmm. important thing to happen in my lifetime you know and i'm a survivor but i didn't come forward with my stories because i mm-hmm. don't want to be defined by that and yeah. you know i'm not comfortable yet you know mm-hmm. so i think i felt this pressure to like come forward before i was ready and you know stuff like that but you know yeah i cut a, i'm gonna be honest i cut a lot of stuff out of this special because i was afraid of backlash um, I in did. What, in what sense? I did a bit about you know, like it was it was about girls that think they're feminists and they're actually just assholes, and you know, it, it was in the section about like now that people care about what we have to say, we got to pull it together. Mm-hmm. The ra- the mm-hmm. rose all day shirts yeah. have to go, and I had this whole litany of things we had to <laughs> get together, <laughs> like improve. Stop doing. Yes, that, yeah. and I had a no more Native American costumes at Mm -hmm. Coachella Mm -hmm. run and I it was Native and then someone says don't say Indian I was saying Native American Indian but the Native American and then someone was like no it's indigenous people Mm. and out of just more out of respect I just didn't want to get it wrong Mm -hmm. I'm not like I can't say anything anymore I'm not one Mm -hmm. of those people I just truly didn't want it to to get it wrong and I was getting so much different feedback that I I just I didn't want to make Mm -hmm. a mistake and then I by accident, like in some crowd work, said something that was like, ah, oh, no, nope, can't say that. Like, it's just, it was like, yeah. I end up cutting a lot of stuff. And I'll, you, you guys might not notice it, but I notice the cuts, continuity issues mm-hmm. of things that I cut because I just, it wasn't, the joke wasn't worth the backlash from people. Yeah. I had someone come at me on Instagram because the poster is a robot. Mm-hmm. My head on a robot with the, um, arm sort of the skin peeled back and yeah, you see yeah. the so you can machine of the arm and yeah. someone was like are you making fun of disabled people and i was like oh my god yeah i cannot believe that that <laughs> could have been construed that way so you know i think that the last thing i want is like negative mm-hmm. feedback yeah i am a comic after all yeah um so you know you said you didn't you don't want to you haven't been comfortable talking about your own experiences in that i mean world. i talked about the director yeah i, I talked about a story mm-hmm. about like you know a lot of people were complaining like well how do these women even remember what happened mm-hmm. it's like a lot of times when you deal with assault you you either block it out or you know you repress it like mm-hmm. there are things that happened to me in my 20s that i now i'm like oh that's what that was yeah yeah you know like oh i just thought that you have auditions in directors bedrooms like i just didn't know that wasn't mm-hmm. a thing i used to be like yeah. oh i thought you just like go to dinner with agents 
and have to make out with them to get represented. <laughs> like, I just, I just, that, you don't know what you don't know. Coming up, Whitney talks about how she handled sudden success at the age of 28 when two sitcoms she created got picked up at the exact same time. Um, so I want to go back a little bit um, and talk about um, sort of where you came from. You grew up in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I did. Um, what, was your, what was your childhood like and what, how did it was comedy... Great. Uh, how did, you tell? <laughs> how did comedy kind of play into to your early years? I was not a funny kid. I had a, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home, which is, you know, a very, and of the youngest, so already, you know, fighting, I think just in terms of how I became a comedian, I think fighting for attention, trying to sort of keep levity you know mm. my family was very passive aggressive in a way that i now know is kind of like jokes you mm. know it was just sort of jab 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 that's how we communicated and showed love to each other um and i think for the most part i was i was alone a lot i had to entertain myself a lot mm. and i had to kind of try to cheer people up a lot yeah um i had a lot of borderline personality disorder in my purview and that's a lot of I never know when someone's going to be in a good mood or a bad mood mm. and so I got to be ready to make them laugh and cheer them up at any moment and I now am able to look back and go oh that was probably like the seed of of becoming a comedian um and no but I was really serious I thought I was going to just do dramatic acting my whole I thought I was gonna be a journalist first oh, really? and I was awful at it yeah <laughs> um I interned at a local news station uh, uh NBC in DC I remember Barbara Harrison was the anchor and she was so good. And they let me get up and like read off the prompter to have mm. like a reel. It's back when yeah, you needed yeah. like a VHS tape. Um, like I was going to get an anchor job when I was 19. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. And I went to J. Crew and I got a shirt and I did the whole thing. And they had the teleprompter coming up. And it was about a kid that had been kidnapped and they couldn't find him. You know, mm -hmm. local news is not is always yeah, sensational. It's, a lot, it's yeah. a lot of that, which obviously I guess that should be on, but just horrific and a bummer. And there's lead in your water and, you know, are there killer bunnies? I mean, it's always just brutal. And I started reading about this horrific thing and I just started making jokes about it because mm -hmm. I just I couldn't handle yeah. how rough it was. And I just realized, <laughs> oh, I you know, this is how I cope. Yeah. And this isn't going to work. No, at all. <laughs> so I was, I was like making fun of the kid. I was like roasting the kid that had been, <laughs> was missing. It's like, who would want to kidnap him anyway? Like I was just like, okay, yeah. being serious is not my strong suit and being unbiased is not my strong suit. Mm, you know, journal, yeah. you know, journalists now I think can have really strong yeah. opinions, but back then it was all about mm, like, especially that kind of like local news. You're not, yeah. It's you're all sticking being to neutral. the script. Totally. And you're being neutral. And so, um, so that didn't really work. And then I went to college for, journalism uh at Penn uh, at Annenberg but it was interesting because I didn't know at the time but it was I think preparing me for comedy because a lot of what that program was about was like advertising and subliminal messages in advertising mm. and deconstructing like nature versus nurture and and causation versus you know like in terms of like does video games cause violence like stuff mm -hmm. like that which I think are the type the way that comedians like to think that's interesting you know so that actually prepared you for for comedy in some way i was just so fascinated by it because i love thinking about like the effects of detrimental effects of something which kind of is what comedy is mm -hmm. about and then when did you end up trying stand-up for the first time i guess i had moved out here and i did that show punked on mtv yeah, yeah. um and a couple comics had done it before like bj novak had done it you know deck shepherd had done it and i hit so i got that job and i was like okay a lot of comedians are doing the show even though i was playing i got the job because i played everything super straight and wasn't trying mm, to be funny you're sort of one of the people who are tricking the, the but guest you, yeah. you can't try to be funny or yeah. it gives it away mm -hmm. like i wasn't funny that's why they hired me <laughs> <laughs> so um but i noticed a lot of people i was working with were doing stand-up and then i started doing a show on VH1 that you all might not remember called Best Week Ever. Oh, yeah. A lot of people got their start That's on Best totally, Week Ever. totally, right? Yeah. Jesse Klein, uh, Christian Finnegan, Nick Kroll, um, tons of people. So we'd go down to VH1 on Colorado and sit in a room four times smaller than this mm -hmm. and just do jokes about pop culture. Yeah. And um, so that was helpful. And then a bunch of people just started suggesting that I do stand-up, which I now realize was just their way of saying, please stop doing bits <laughs> you need an outlet for this yes yeah. like yeah i'd be like telling some long story about how like i got a ticket and they'd be like you know you should try stand up <laughs> like you should just go um do this with strangers because we're not interested in your rambling <laughs> um and then one night i did it was at a place called m bar that no longer exists on vine and 
Fountain. Have you been there? I have, you, how long I have, have you lived not. In LA? I've, I've been here like seven years. Okay, so, so yeah, so yeah. I think that was before my LA it time. It was. It's um, Vine. It was a big stand-up. But I've heard a lot about it. And I, yeah, have no, you yeah, from I mean, like comics that yeah, have come in here? That it's a, it was a big show. Big I mean, yeah. deal. It was a huge, it was like UCB, right before I think UCB, it, maybe simultaneously, like the mm-hmm. glory days of, of those shows. And I used to go and watch and watch and watch. And then MySpace was the thing. Oh. And I MySpace to comic named Melinda Hill. And I asked her if I could be on her show. I'd never done stand-up before, and I think I lied to her. Sorry, Melinda. Um, and was like, oh, yeah, can I just run some time? Like, I'd heard yeah. people say that. Like, can I come run a set? Yeah. And I d- told a story about, like, a bad date. And it actually went well, which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've done as well as the first time since. <laughs> Still trying yeah, I to I feel get... like I hear that story a lot, too. People are Do like, you? the first time was great, and then the next and then horrible 50 for five times, years. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the, I didn't realize yeah. that was so such a common experience because you don't you're not yeah maybe yeah you don't know what you don't know what you're getting yourself into maybe and you i think if you go on and you do well the first time you then start replicating what Mm, you did yeah when in reality you should be replicating the openness and the wonder Mm, and the spontaneity mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. being in the moment yeah but you're trying to replicate your performance and then it comes off robotic and probably rehearsed and Mm -hmm. wrote so yeah so then i bombed for like three years (laughs) and uh but you know the first couple years as bobby lee told me this he's like the first couple years don't worry about your material it's just about getting comfortable on stage Mm -hmm. yeah which is just so true um so eventually this leads up to a very big year for you which was 2011 when you had two shows uh two broke girls and whitney uh get picked up at right around the same time right Mm -hmm. so i mean how did you how did you handle that success? Um, that's a pretty rare experience, I would imagine, to get to have two shows <laughs> at the, at, right <laughs> at the same time and a lot of work. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's so weird that people think that was a big deal. I mean, I, I'm, I understand. For me, it was the it was the biggest deal on the planet. I, all of a sudden, you know, I had $7 in my bank account and then I could pay my bills. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like, I got a car. like You know, so it was monumental. And, you know, I grew up watching sitcoms and you know, it was always my dream to have when I got to work with my, at the time, Crystalia was a good friend of mine. I mean, to be doing a show with your mm-hmm. friends, it was just, it was surreal. But I think what I hadn't really shared publicly before is that I had a bunch of like tragedies in my personal life almost simultaneously. Oh, wow. um, we got picked up in May and then we start the writer's room in June and late June. I had a very close family member go into rehab and my mom had a stroke and I my, then my dad had a stroke like six months later, which mm. in a weird kismic you know thing it was thank god it was at that time because i could actually afford to (laughs) pay the bills but it was also i wasn't really um able to think about the amount of pressure i was under because i was so distracted by that i was Mm -hmm. like you know shooting and working all day and then going to like rehab at night you know to visit you know so i thankfully missed a lot of the um uh what's the word i'm gonna try to be positive energy that came at me um you know mm-hmm. i didn't even know about the billboards <laughs> like i was like, yeah. going from my house in near near here and in- millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Studio City to five blocks away to the studio to home to you know yeah and then one day I got invited to some NBC event and you know they're like you should go to this this is a good look and I drove and I saw all these billboards and I was like oh fuck 
<laughs> this is crazy. And then it was like a joke on SNL. And then it was like on South Park. And I, you know, I didn't read the reviews. I didn't Google myself. I didn't have time. Mm-hmm. I feel lucky that I didn't because I probably it would not have ended well for me. I'd yeah. probably be on like a weird like um, sober in the house reality show <laughs> on true TV. Yeah. I don't know. What, if, what is it? Celebrity rehab or something. Yeah, I'd be on some big brother something. Yeah. I'd be in a bad place. I'd be a contestant on Love Island had I actually <laughs> seen all these reviews. Um, so thankfully, it didn't really sink in until mm-hmm. later. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's it was it's looking back. I mean, it's definitely a little embarrassing because, I mean, you you when you run your first show you have no clue what you're doing yeah. i mean it was like i was 26 and how did I it think. work how did it work logistically because you had two broke girls and mm-hmm. whitney kind of going on at the same time yeah. i mean how did you even how were you even able to do that yeah well michael patrick king ran two broke girls mm-hmm. and i mean you know him he's yeah. made the comeback with lisa kudrow and, and sex in the city sex in the city so he's as good a comedy showrunner as they come so mm-hmm. he was very much running that creatively mm-hmm. and i would chime in and pitch jokes whenever I could and read scripts but you know for the most part I was really just trying to keep my head above water on the NBC show mm-hmm. because it was their only multicam on NBC at the time I oh, mean wow. before there were not multicams happening it was the office it was um 30 rock i think started the year before multicams were not in vogue at all in fact people thought they were corny they thought that they there was a laugh track it was bullshit you know people which is weird because we grew up on multicams, whether it was Seinfeld and Friends and Mad yeah, About You and those Cheers. Those are the biggest shows. The biggest shows. And kids love multi with these um, Nickelodeon shows. They're Wizards mm-hmm. of Waverly Place and Chuck in Montana. I'm making I'll them take up your now. word for it. Yeah, Chicky and Boo. <laughs> I don't know. And so the numbers show people love multicams, mm, but yeah. something about, you know, critics and. Yeah, well, they fell out of favor a little bit, right? I mean, critically. Did they? Critically. Yeah. They're the biggest, still very popular, the most watched. I yeah. mean, even on Netflix, The Ranch and mm-hmm. Friends and um, Fuller House. I mean, are some right. of their biggest shows. Yeah. You know, so totally. so I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between what maybe what the public wants to watch and what mm-hmm. critics want to watch. We all know that, and that's fine. But um, so yeah, I think we got pretty killed on that. Um, critically, I think a lot of people thought it was a laugh track. I was getting a lot of is why is there a laugh track? Which was just so weird. Yeah, which by which they mean laughs. I mean yeah, because I mean, you perform in front of an audience, and well, there's this, yeah. and I kept saying to the critics, I was like, just come to a taping, like you'll see the human beings in the yeah. audience. But you know, multicam is is an inherently you know very tricky way to do comedy because the people that are there are so excited that they're gonna be like ah they're seeing their mm-hmm. favorite comedian they're yeah. seeing you know the celebrity that they love they see deb messing right there and anything she says they're like oh they came yeah. from orlando <laughs> to see deb messing so the audience at home is never going to be laughing as hard as it is. So right. it's always going to feel like the laughs in the show are louder than mm-hmm. than what they deserve. Yeah. So I, it took me a while to figure out to just take the mics out of the audience and just make yeah. it less like a, like, ah, ah, like yeah. a refrain. Why are we having sex? Because your hair's up and I ate pork. <laughs> When's the last time I wore my hair down? Uh, two years ago. <laughs> serious i don't think we're having sex enough i mean why aren't we tapping this every night stay in that bed all right because a storm of sexy is gonna come your way (laughs) you know because it's interesting because there were shows that were on that at that time that actually did have a real laugh track that mm-hmm. would record laughs and put them in and they would shoot yeah. during the days without a studio audience just and a then, block shoot. Yeah, and then if put you have, laughs in yeah. after. And we were actually freaking Friday night at mm-hmm. 6 o'clock we're shooting in front of, you know, tourists and, and we got killed for that. But I get, look, I if I saw a poster that just said, you know, like Tiffany with a girl being like, <laughs> I'm making a really corny smiley face for those of you that don't see me. I'd be like, oh God, what is that? You know, because I think just at the time, but I think multicams have started to sort of people are a little more, I don't know, embracing yeah. them. I mean, the whole Roseanne yeah. thing went yeah. right. Well, yeah, that that did very well. <laughs> Coming up, Whitney opens up about how she felt when the Roseanne reboot completely imploded. How how did you uh, end up becoming the the showrunner for the Roseanne reboot? I just am a fan of her tweets. You know, <laughs> just I just love those tweets. I just, I just think she makes some good points. <laughs> um, that's going to be quoted out of context. No, no, I just no. I could see it. Now. That was a joke. That was yes, a joke. we'll I, see. Yeah. There's no such thing. Um, no, I mean I did it with Bruce Halford, who did the original, mm-hmm. um, who's wonderful, and. Uh, 
you know, Tom Warner, who did, you know, the show was a big producer on it, the producer on it, what am mm-hmm. I saying? In the beginning is awesome. And him and I had worked together on something else. And, and anytime we'd work together, we shot an HBO pilot together. I would ask about Roseanne's stories, you know, mm-hmm. Roseanne, like in writer's rooms is like, there's b- legendary stories about mm-hmm. the room and writers in the room and how it was shot. And there's just all this lore and truth about about what went on and I was just fascinated by it. I grew up watching Roseanne, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I grew up poor and that was the first show that looked like my house. Mm-hmm. It was the first show that didn't make me feel bad about myself. It was the first show that was like, wait, my couch looks like that. Wait, my wallpaper looks like that. Wait, mm-hmm. my mom complains about bills. Like, <laughs> it, you know, I was watching 90210 and Melrose Place and all these yeah. shows where it's like, I'll never look like that. I'll never be like that. I'll never have a house like that. And, you know, I don't have to convince you guys why, you know, um, Roseanne, the show was good. Um, but, what happened with the election? It was sort of like, okay, what now? What mm-hmm. um, creatively? And yeah. I don't because really that's when it didn't. It, it was after the election that it, was. It, that it came up to the idea came up to the, do it, this. Because I think what happened was there's this huge disconnect between you know Hollywood writers and America, mm-hmm. and I think there's this idea among some Hollywood writers that like America's stupid, and mm. um, you know I think the deplorables comment really was you know you know and i think what i loved about roseanne it was always just because we're poor doesn't mean we're stupid Mm -hmm. and i have family members who are poor and that live in red states and you know and i think a lot of people weren't feeling seen or heard i'm not saying why people voted the way that they did but Mm -hmm. they did and they weren't being represented on television and um you know the opportunity to get content with a message into red states was very appealing to all of us because a lot of the stuff we make only our echo chamber sees i are so delusional mm-hmm. about who watches what we make and a lot of times we're in our echo chamber and we sort of forget there's yeah. a ton of people who are not watching what we make and we're preaching to the choir and um I think just all of us, you know, Norm Macdonald was on the show and Wanda Sykes was on the show and Morgan Murphy was on the yeah, show. Incredible writer's room. Brilliant. And um, so it wasn't like a bunch of, like there's this idea that it was like a bunch of right-wing racists writing the show. Yeah. I mean, it was really um, not at all. And we got very excited about the idea of putting something in the living rooms of states that we know or demographics we normally would mm-hmm. not be able to connect to uh, mirroring what was going on in the country mm-hmm. in terms of what would happen when family members voted differently. Yeah, I did see a quote from, you know, kind of I think right before it premiered um, where you were saying that you felt like you had to be the PC police sometimes in the writer's room. What did you what did you mean by that? Well, and, you know, it's it's, you know, and I and oh, that's like makes me hate myself to hear that. I, it was more like, you know, we just really had to be careful in terms of depicting how this family and these characters would actually talk and actually behave and if we were going to be offensive it was for the right reasons and on purpose so a big argument that was in the writer's room was the word illegals Mm. right the illegal and dan construction worker now freelance the reality is that undocumented workers would be taking some of his jobs or Mm. that's what's going on in his but he probably wouldn't call them undocumented correct he would say in the privacy of his Mm -hmm. kitchen with his wife 60 something years old he probably would not say undocumented workers mm-hmm. but illegals is not the pc term so mm-hmm. there were just a lot of conversations yeah, that's, that's a tough yeah it's a tough one there was and you know people got angry on in on the uh, crew mm-hmm. um and so for me i was definitely defending what would actually happen and how this character would actually talk especially as someone who grew up being in love with john goodman mm-hmm. <laughs> character yeah. dan and we wanted to be truthful but also just making sure just we got it right, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I de- we definitely had a couple days where we were fighting about undocumented workers versus illegals. You know, what word would they use? Are they being offensive? Or are they just talking the way they would talk mm-hmm. and trying to get that right? Um, so, what? I mean, had you met Roseanne before you started doing this? And by the way, we also had a, you know, um, Ames, the character in the show who... With, wears a, a skirt mm-hmm. a boy you know yeah. and there was a lot of is it gender non-conforming is it gender creative is it you know this yeah. transgender what is it what and, term to use yes and, yeah. and let's just get it right so we know how the characters get it wrong mm, we yeah. we have to know what's right in order f- for them to screw up right if right, they're right. gonna screw up yeah we have to understand this fully so they can misunderstand mm-hmm. it you know so that's a lot of what that yeah, yeah. conversation was had i met Roseanne before i had um I was a very big fan mm-hmm. um, of hers. Uh, so the whole thing has been 
heartbreaking uh to say the least and surreal like mm-hmm. i forget that when people ask me about it i'm like huh like oh, I, oh yeah that happened i blocked it out it's yeah. just so yeah. traumatizing um but yeah i was a fan of the show growing up huge fan especially because and i think the kind of work i like to watch and and make is one second you're laughing and one second you're crying and mm-hmm. that's always you know that show talked about domestic violence it talked about race in a, at the time really sophisticated way remember dj wouldn't kiss the black girl in the school play i mean i remember watching that episode and it just blew my mind mm-hmm. and um and then the kid's father comes into the diner and Roseanne locks the door. I mean, it was just like wild. Um, we had met a couple times doing stand-up. Um, I went and saw her do stand-up actually when I was at the uh, Jeff Garland and Michael Moore do a film festival in Michigan. I don't mm. um, Shit. Uh, whatever. So I'd gone and seen her and she was hysterical. Um and it yeah, it made a lot of sense at the time. Yeah. Like so, every weird decision. I mean, so you you stepped down as showrunner before everything happened yeah. with the tweet about Valerie Jarrett and the blow up about that. Yes. So why so why so I think pe- a lot of people out there probably think that you stepped down because of that cuz it was kind of right before. Um uh, but, no, it was what, clear it yeah. was clear to me that But so I mean so why gonna... did you why did you decide that it was something that you didn't want to do anymore? Um uh it became i wanted her to get off twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> you saw a problem yeah and i it, i felt like it was gonna come to a head mm-hmm. it was like whack-a-mole it yeah. was just you know and i also i i'm gonna be honest and i maybe people won't believe me but i i, I had not seen i i think there were tweets from years ago mm-hmm. that weren't great right you know i hadn't seen those i you know but it, once it started getting press attention, it started becoming, you know, uh, there was the Trump phone call and, there, you know, it was just like kind of oof, this is this isn't I, I just thought we were all signing up to hold a mirror up to what was going on and hopefully do a funny healing and nostalgic. I mean, there's something mm-hmm. sort of healing about like, let's all watch the show we all watched when we were kids. And, yeah. you know, I think if it was a new show about a low income family with like actors that we all know are rich, it would have been like a bullshit mm-hmm. show. And yeah. You know, I think it had the potential to be really healing and to be able to start interesting conversations. And I, had, you know, um, the thing I did leave out was that before Michelle Obama left um, the White House, she did a conference call with showrunners. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea to this day who was on that call, but I did dress up in a blazer for a phone call. <laughs> I had my little green blazer on and I was like, had my phone out and with this whole thing. And um, she basically explained the this um these metrics on how they can now connect the passage of marriage equality to will and grace Mm. how people in you know rural areas that maybe don't know gay people or the gay people they do know are in the closet or Mm. whatever how what you see on television can translate to your value system and can Mm. move the needle in terms of progress and that really resonated for me because I think that the story with writers and writers rooms and we're all like we're not curing cancer it's just a fucking joke who gives a shit you know Mm -hmm. we kind of were like whatever and um so that made me think like oh cool this can maybe be a powerful thing especially a show that so many people are going to watch maybe this can bring us together which sounds so naive now that I'm saying it well if if it had just been the show and there hadn't been the twitter you know all her tweets and her public presence maybe that would have been true Maybe um, you think. Well, I don't. Well, I guess it's hard to hard to know. Um, yeah. Once everything did happen, I know you were kind of maybe hesitant to talk about it at the time. Um, I was dead quiet. <laughs> My publicist. Um, I kept trying to. You tweet got on about TMZ. It. I know that. That was. Oh, that was a nightmare. Fun. They got me in an airport. Yeah. I know because I was trying. Look, because it was just not about me, and yeah. I think it's you know we all got to know when to just shut up. And mm-hmm. I think for me, it was just that would have just created a bigger mess and involved me in something that was not mine to be involved in you know Mm -hmm. i just feel like everyone feels like they need to weigh it now like you notice when um someone dies everyone has to like put a photo of them with the dead person he was such Mm -hmm. a nice guy Mm -hmm. she was the best just Just to prove that they knew that you knew that are you just posting this because this is a this is a great photo of you yeah (laughs) or just to get the likes or whatever so i just had to really restrain myself and just Mm -hmm. remember like nobody's thinking about me Mm -hmm. nobody cares about me no one's like well whitney was involved they're not Mm -hmm. interested in me at all so i think uh, i tried to just not weigh in not as a strategy really but just not Mm -hmm. you know is there anything that you that you want to say about it now? I mean, do you think that they that it was the right decision to to say we're not going to work with her anymore for ABC? Yeah, I think it was. It's just a sh- it's a shame. And the Connors is you know still on, and Sarah Gilbert is brilliant, mm-hmm. and and 
John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf. I mean, I'm in. I'll yeah. watch that show. Um, I don't really. I'm. I'm still too shocked and confused to even know what to even think because I'm still in this like I should have done something. It's like no, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have. What could I try to? You yeah. know, what could I've done? Um, it's just wildly unfortunate and disappointing and heartbreaking but maybe and maybe this is my 12-step program like third step everything happens for a reason thing but you know maybe what needed to happen in the grand scheme of things is the head of that network made a very public statement of what will not be tolerated Mm -hmm. you know yeah um and maybe that's the message that needed to be transmitted to everyone because that story was massive it was. It was all I mean, anyone that was, was talking about. It was all anyone was talking That's about. That's why they were looking for you in the airport. I know. It <laughs> <laughs> was a nightmare. And I was just like, ah, oh, fucking get out of here. Um, I probably don't come off in that TMZ clip very <laughs> Does anyone come off well charming. on TMZ clips? Oh, I'm the worst. Um, but I, yeah, I'm trying to remember what I said in that clip and I can't remember but the, yeah maybe yeah. that's what needed to you happen. said you were pissed off that was one i think that was the, the headline yeah probably i was <laughs> pissed we all worked really really hard on that i mean worked really hard on that and mm. i we a lot of us you know create i won't speak for everyone because i'll get in trouble if i do but you know it's just a shame the episodes are just gone forever you mm-hmm. you put your heart and soul into something for 12 months and it's just yeah. <laughs> for nothing poop. you got to work with wanda sykes and oh, mcdonald and, and all these people i mean and look, it's very hard to make a good multicam. This this podcast has turned into how to make a good yeah. multicam episode. <laughs> it's really hard, but Roseanne did it very well. Cheers mm-hmm. did it very well. Mm-hmm. Friends obviously did it very well. But the way Roseanne, it's very hard to make a set look authentic and like a real place. It has to do with the paint. It has to do with the texture. It has mm-hmm. to do with the set designer. It has to do with the lighting. It has to do with the, the colors. Everything is so important. And I wanted to learn, the acting also. I mean, the actors on that show really do it like a play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you also have, John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf so I don't know how there could possibly be bad acting but to watch what the choices that they make and how the set was done I really learned a lot about how to make a good multicam so maybe I can use that moving forward and eventually make a good one so I do want to ask you about this project that I saw you have um, that you're I don't know what stage it's at uh, Mm -hmm. Good People Mm -hmm. Is that um, is God. that happening? Or I hate talking about pilots on podcasts because <laughs> if it doesn't go, everyone's uh, going to be like, "Hey, when do I get to see that?" And in an airport, I have to be like, "It didn't go." Well, it's a it's an insane uh, cast and group of people that you're working with on that too. Lee Daniels is involved, I know, and then I, I saw it, uh, yeah. Lisa Kudrow, Martin Short. Yeah, crazy. So you, you made the pilot, right. is that... Kinnear, Yeah, we just shot the pilot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And look, Lee Daniels, I've been a fan of his for so long, and we were what we're talking about is basically whenever I was doing uh, college tours. There was there's always something out before, and I'm not complaining that we can't are being silenced or whatever. Mm. But I'm not that person. But it really is getting. You go to a college now, and they're like, "Can you not talk about sports? Can you not talk about drinking? Can you not talk about sex? Can you mm-hmm. not talk about race? Can you, you know?" They're just like, "Please, we don't want to get sued," and you know, you know, they just don't want any incendiary jokes, whatever. And I would always talk to the students and be like, "What's going on on campus?" Because they'd tell you. Um, before you went on to make sure you didn't make a joke about it. So mm-hmm. I'm hearing like, oh, this trans boy wants to play football and they won't let him and the hormones are registering as testosterone. So even if the a trans boy does make the team, doesn't get to play, because gets, you know, I just, all this crazy stuff. And a girl got, a white girl had dreadlocks and there was a big fight about it. And then there was you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, who is the poor bastard who has to deal with all this shit? Mm-hmm. And then I found out it was something called the ombudsman's office. Mm-hmm. And they're like HR, but yeah. they deal with student complaints about inappropriate behavior. Um, they feel they've been offended. Someone's wearing a MAGA shirt. Someone wearing an Obama shirt. You know, a, the cafeteria workers wearing a sombrero on Cinco de Mayo. That's appropriation. Like there's mm-hmm. someone who has to deal with that <laughs> stuff. And a lot of the things I don't even know what's right and wrong you know and what's when do you let the inmates run the asylum and Mm -hmm. when do you step in you know when are students just sorry you have to be uncomfortable sorry Mm -hmm. that's the deal we can't protect you so this is sort of the premise of the of the show yeah yeah so lisa kudrow uh is the ombudsman and she has to deal with all these student complaints and you know the mascot is you know Native American stereotypical mascot mm-hmm. and trying to get rid of them. It's just about all this stuff that we're... Yeah, well, I hope it gets picked up because it sounds fascinating. Me too. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, uh, what I like to do at the end is kind of just go through um, a few things we didn't get to talk about. Oh, God. Um, and Did I just ramble? Get... Am I rambling? No, you're great. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, 
and talk about uh, just the sort of first memory or, or story that comes to mind when I mention the the project. So you, you talked a little bit about punked, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, does anything stick out in your in your memory from that was one of your earliest uh, gigs oh, on TV? I, think. I remember there was one I, that just what I'm comes to mind right away is Evan Rachel Wood, who at the time I think was 15. <laughs> and you guys punked her? Yes. And we had her come to like a fake museum and I had to get her to accidentally back into a really expensive <laughs> old piece of pottery. Mm. And she had to, and then it was break rigged it. to yeah. break. And then she had to, and it just was not, <laughs> it just was not working. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember like yelling at Evan Rachel Wood when she was 15. Because like, <laughs> I think I was playing like a gallerist mm-hmm. or something. And I'm yeah. trying to take a picture of her. And I'm like, can you back up? Can you back up? And she's like, you she's know. Like, no, I don't want to knock no, over this. No, like, yeah. well, I'm not going to knock over your pot that yeah. you just told me was $8 million. You know, <laughs> there was a crazy one with Chris Klein. I remember we mm. had a, had to keep escalating and escalating. And this one was like a hostage. This was the worst. It was a hostage crisis at Chris Klein's house. <laughs> And I do specifically remember being so bored waiting for him to come home. I was just sitting in the house and mm-hmm. I was like going through like Katie Holmes' like wedding journal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. was just totally like, <laughs> this is so crazy. I was like 22 years old in a celebrity's house, like mm-hmm. going through their drawers. And I remember it was a hostage crisis. Chris Klein came home to a hostage crisis at his house and I was the hostage. And I remember running out. And my mic pack, we did a very good job of it. There were helicopters, like there were SWAT teams, like they really sold it. And bless his heart, I ran to a car and my mic pack fell out. And you're not supposed to have a mic pack. No, hostage. Of course he's going to (laughs) go, fuck, this is fake. This is a reality or prank show, hidden camera prank show. And I'm like, fuck, I just fucked up the whole thing. And I, and I looked down at it and he went, it's a bomb. <laughs> no way. She's got a bomb attached to her. And then I was like, ah, the bomb. <laughs> and I was like, it was just like, I remember that moment being oh so crazy God. that he actually was so, yeah. it was sold so hard. He believed it yeah. so much that it was a bomb. Yeah. It was pretty great. That's and really then I picked funny. it up and put it in my pocket. <laughs> and he was like, wait, what's she doing? I was like, I think the bomb's been deactivated. <laughs> like, um, what do you remember about your first uh, late night stand-up performance? Uh, oh. I believe it was on Conan's uh, Tonight Show in in 2010, but you can correct me if I have. I that definitely wrong. did Last Call with Carson Daly. Oh, that, yeah. How dare you not go onto the deep gonna, web for we're, that? We're gonna count that, I guess. <laughs> Please <laughs> do not Google that. Um, yeah, I remember that. Please, so that was the first one. Yeah, that was I think the first one. Then I became a writer. That was my first job. Oh. I was a writer on Last Call with Carson Daly, and then I did. I think. It, did I do Conan? I don't know if I did Conan. I definitely did Leno. Mm-hmm. Um, I sound like Valerie Cherish when I say that in my Leno. Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely did a Leno. I remember I teased my hair because for some reason I was like, I don't know. I thought I should have funny hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm a comic. I should... And the hardest part about that I remember is you don't hold a microphone on The Tonight Show. Mm. So... You know, it's, always yeah. have, a, and then they were like, "Oh no, you just have a lav mic." And then all of a sudden, I was like doing That's jazz. Bizarre, jazz. Yeah. I didn't know where to put my hands. I remember just like they jazz. don't let you hold a mic if you want to hold a mic. You could, but I didn't know to yeah. ask. Yeah, they were just came out and mic'd mm-hmm. me, and I just I didn't know I could ask for what I needed or take control of my environment. I was just so like scared and nervous about being there. Um, but Jay Leno was really nice to me, and I always appreciated that he had me on so much. But I always wanted to dress casual, so I would get a shirt, casual shirt, because I'm relatable. That was my whole mm-hmm. thing. Just be relatable, wear a normal T-shirt, but you're on The Tonight Show, so I would sew little sequins and beads. <laughs> a little bedazzle situation. So, yeah, so if you look at any of my early talk show uh, appearances, I'm wearing T-shirts with sequins <laughs> on them. I'm, I'm not great. proud of that. <laughs> um, the first roast that you did uh, Joan was Joan Rivers. Uh-huh. Um, so what what do you remember about that night, and what did she so what did Joan great. Rivers mean to you at that time? Oh gosh, she was like she. I mean, she's a legend. You know, I mean, I think for me, when I first saw Joan Rivers, I knew her as the fashion correspondent. Mm, you know, yeah. and then it wasn't until I became a comedian that I found out like what she meant to mm-hmm. comedy. And uh, and I remember a couple things. It, doing the roast at that time was very weird because you're basically insulting your hero. You're meeting your mm-hmm. hero for the first time yeah. and just insulting their face. I mean, yeah. it's just like. Crazy. And you're pretty unknown at that time. Nobody I knew. Mean, yeah. No, I mean, I was a nobody. You know, I don't. Most comics didn't even make jokes about. I mean, Greg Giraldo was just like Whitney Cummings is here for some reason. Anyway, I mean, that was like <laughs> moving the, on. That was yeah. the most I got, yeah. and then it was just your horror and whatever. Because that, what else would you say? And then. Uh, <laughs> And I remember I got up there and I was so worried she was going to get mad at me, you know, like, cause like, you know, cause I had a lot of jokes about her face and I got up 
I think my opening joke for her was, Joan, I loved you in The Wrestler. <laughs> it's fucking brutal. And then everyone was like, <gasps> and they looked over at her and she just like, like really stone faced. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. I just pissed off Joan Rivers on television. This is bad. <laughs> and then because she said, she's like, I'm laughing. It's the Botox. Uh, I'm laughing. So she subtitled her face yeah. for us so that <laughs> she gave everyone permission. And, you know, her laugh just looked like a scowl at the yeah. time. And I remember. And then uh, she was a really good sport about it. I remember the closing joke, I think, was uh, Joan Rivers is so old. Her vagina has a separate entrance for black cocks. And uh, (laughs) brutal. And she was so cool about it. A lot of those jokes actually ended up getting cut. But, you know, it's just weird to just hand. And then she got on and just destroyed me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And then, of course, there was the Trump roast uh, two years later uh, in 2011. That happened. um, Which is kind of a legendary uh, night at this point. Um, Is there anything? Do people care? Well, I think it gets a lot of attention and talked about because it it was this, you know, it was this example of him trying to laugh at himself, which is not something he does anymore. That's um, interesting. I mean, what was wild about it is that I got no concept that he was being insulted at all. Like, I think it yeah. was like it was. And, it, and I remember people kept going, well, he's trying to run for president. We should write jokes about that. And I was like. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Let's st- why are we writing jokes about this esoteric like weird joke he made? Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't even make jokes about it because mm-hmm. I was like this isn't relevant. There's no chance that's going to happen. There's no chance it's going to happen. It's too crazy. Donald, you are gross. Nobody likes you, but you come back every couple years and nobody knows why. You're like the McRib. <laughs> you got Milan a huge 12 karat diamond engagement ring. You should not have gotten her a diamond. Now she knows what hard is supposed to feel like. Oh. Woo! Yeah. You recently said that you wanted to run for president. That is such a publicity stunt. If I wanted to support a greedy whore who's pretending to run for president just to get on TV, I'd vote for Sarah Palin. And then I remember him just being really just psyched to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. I remember being like, this guy's... Can imagine that. It was, at the time, a dream person to roast, because as long as you were talking about him, he was in heaven. Mm-hmm. It was like, who was it? Jerry Springer and Larry King? Larry King, yeah. Seth MacFarlane. And it was in New York, I remember, and the room was... It was all his friends. Normally... When you shoot the uh, roast in L.A., it's comedy people, mm-hmm. it's you know friends of he ours. Packed the audience. He packed it with his friends, <laughs> and it was just like, fuck, so weird, surreal. A lot of people, you know, a lot of comics think that we're kind of to blame in a lot of ways for this because when you make fun of someone, it sort of helps him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we'll never know whether, we'll never what, know. what that what that impact was. Yeah. Um, so the last thing that we do on the show is um, I ask everyone what the last thing that made you laugh really hard is. Uh, it could be a TV show. It could be a movie, a, a stand-up performance, or just anything that, that comes to mind. It's hard for me to do because I, I see comedy all the time. Are you a big laugher or do you, do you feel like it is, does it take a lot to make you laugh? It depends. Like I'm – I – like nothing I'm it's weird because when you see so much comedy like like I was watching Sebastian special and I'm just like fuck that's funny fuck <laughs> like you get jealous Sebastian Menes yeah Menes Galco yeah, yeah you get a little bit more like god damn it you, you know you get angry when you, <laughs> you get hear, a little jealous yes or, you're just yeah. like ah shit fuck, that's a good <laughs> joke like you just get annoyed yeah. uh when you hear uh comics and I'm the worst people say I'm the worst to audition for because when they say something funny I just go ha <laughs> like you just like make a sound yeah uh because sort of genuine laughter is is harder and harder to get um because comedy becomes kind of like a business but i definitely actually laughed at the memory of something recently so mm-hmm. hard and it's probably not going to translate at all brody stevens i was telling someone a story about him mm. since he passed and someone was like well what was his comedy you know and he made me laugh in a way that it was just so surprising and so yeah abstract and you know he's just he always cracked me up and i was watching some of his youtube videos and posting them and i was laughing but he one time we were at the comedy store he was <laughs> ringing in new year's eve and if you guys know anything about brody stevens he's like the worst person <laughs> to be like 10 yeah. nine, you know 
And uh, because if you wouldn't laugh at him, he would just go in on you. Don't yeah. get me. You yeah. know, he would just go in on you. <laughs> okay, here's why you should have laughed. Like, it's just the audience sometimes doesn't understand what's going on if they're yeah. not comedy savvy. And I remember they weren't laughing at him because everyone bombs on New Year's in the main mm-hmm. room of the comedy store at this time. Mm. It's all like tourists and like, you know, Austrian couples that had a yeah. group on back in the, <laughs> now it's popping there, but it wasn't at the yeah. time. And he came out and he was <laughs> doing the countdown and uh, he just goes, you know what? I will ruin your New Year's. <laughs> and it was just, it was just so the idea that these people came to the show <laughs> and this comic is just yelling at them, saying, "I'm going to ruin your New Year's." Is that's the kind of yeah, sinister, sinister thing that that makes a <laughs> numb, dead inside comedian laugh. I love that story. Thank you, uh, and thank you for doing the podcast. This thank was really you for fun. having me. I hope this was good. Yeah. See you in the comments, guys. Can't wait for your notes. <laughs> Yeah, let us know what you think. Let Uh, let me know if you like me. Can't wait (laughs) for you to tell me I'm old. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you again so much to Whitney Cummings. Like she said, let us know what you thought about this episode and others on the Apple Podcasts app. And check out her new special, Can I Touch It? It's streaming right now on Netflix. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazel. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes and highlights from each episode on TheDailyBeast.com. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.